This is the Development Locker Podcast, and this is your weekly investment in your development as you continue your transition through life and academy football. In Season 3, we bring you even more episodes, more guests who you can connect with, and even more insight into individuals like you who have a similar experiences in pursuing a career in the professional game. Over the next 11 months and 48 episodes, we aim to cover the key topics you will face along your journey. From the challenges you will have to overcome, the ups, the downs, and many experiences along the way. We will be here every week to discuss the current issues in your lives, support you in your journey, and continue your development to being the best version of you in your interviews from the locker. Pre-season is quickly coming to an end, but we've got one more episode that will prepare you for the season ahead. Ryan is a firm friend here at the Development Locker, having appeared on season one and season two previously. In this episode, Ryan joins us once again to discuss performing under pressure. So whether you're a first year pro, a second year in a crucial stage of your development, a first year scholar beginning their first season in full-time football, this is an episode you won't want to miss. Don't just take my word for it, stay tuned and listen to the next 60 minutes which will have a positive impact on your day, week and your next fixture as we bring you your latest interview from The Locker. Welcome back, one and all, to another episode of the podcast. And we've got a familiar, I was going to say face, but it'll be voice, won't it? We've got a familiar voice this week in Ryan Pellin, who joined us previously in season one and season two. He's back for season three. And we're going to get straight into the why, as Ryan knows that we do every single time. Uh, So, right, why is it an understanding of how to prepare uh, sorry, how to perform for under pressure important in academy football. Yeah, so hello again. Um, The kind of performance under pressure is kind of one of those uh, critical pillars within academy football. It's obviously a big part of elite sport, professional sport, being able to to turn on a performance in the the moments that matter the most. And so obviously that's why we focus on it within academy football of making sure the players have the the ability the the skills the tools and the awareness of themselves to be able to uh, obviously deliver their best performance in those moments that ultimately potentially may win or lose a game beautifully put and, and that's what i love about not just psychologists in general but yourself of being able to put something that can be very very complicated into such simple terms and i'm sure you're going to do that in the next question so you talked about the reasons why it's important to perform under pressure in academy football but what tools have players got have individuals got in their bag to manage this pressure so I think everyone will expect me to jump straight into kind of that, that during that on the pitch, uh, what happens in the game in those 90 minutes when I walk out on the grass. Uh, and yeah, that's really important. 
there's also an importance of after the game as well, uh, being able to assess and, and take the lessons learned from it, uh, from being in that performance state, onto the next training session, onto the next performance. But I think something that a lot of people underestimate is the the importance of actually the prep. I know we are really, really good within all sports. I think everyone uh, going into any fitness or exercise understands and appreciates the importance of a warm-up. But we probably don't designate as much time to the mental warm-up as we do the physical uh, kind of stretching. Um, getting the heart racing, again, is, is like second to none. But really, we, we don't give the same time towards our brain. So in regards to the mental prep, kind of the, the tool bag that we equip athletes with to manage different pressure situations. One of the most important is just how they perceive the situation they're about to go into. Uh, so by perceiving, what I mean is kind of what they, they view it as, what they think about it. Now, ultimately, uh, if you ask someone, uh, it's going into a, a big match, a high pressure moment, they may say that either they see it as a challenge, something to rise up to, uh, a, a situation that they want to overcome, or they may see it as a threat. Now, uh, to skirt around the uh, literature, to not turn this into a lecture and fire names and dates and studies out, uh, really simply what we do is we have that initial judgment uh, perception of an event. So either I view it as a challenge or something as a threat that I want to avoid. Then what I do is I have a little uh, assessment of myself. So I look at it at the next level down of if I think it's a challenge, I start going, right, so what are the resources that I actually possess uh, that can meet this challenge? So I might think of things about like my ability as a, a footballer or uh, the fact that I feel uh, physically and mentally rested, that I've got the fitness available uh, or even that I've got the support around me to, to come through this. So maybe I look left and right and see my teammates or the coaches and, and the rest of the support staff. Now, if I'm feeling that way, that I've got the resources that I need to overcome this challenge and I'm viewing it as a challenge, then I'm more likely to feel positive kind of goes without saying I'm going to have more positive emotions. I may feel happy, excited, um, eager to get going. I'm going to be happier within myself. And if we've got all of that, then again, uh, we can simply lead on to those more positive actions. I'm more likely to go in quite comfortable. I'm going to take risks. I'm going to trust my ability. I'm probably going to have more flair on the pitch. I'm going to be more myself as a performer. And obviously that's exactly where we want to get players to. Now, what may happen is they may look at it as a threat state um, whereby they may assess themselves and when they look at it they go you know what I've not got confidence that I can actually turn up at, that I have this ability to to turn on my performance uh, when I'm looking around at the resources I've got available again maybe I'm doubting myself uh, and therefore that leads on to kind of more negative emotions that's where you worry your nerves a little bit of fear may step in and obviously that'll lead on to a poorer performance. I think it's important for me to really make clear that it doesn't necessarily mean that if you see a, a challenge in front of you, that of course, you're not always going to have a positive performance. The same as if you are feeling uh, kind of that it's a bit more of a threat, you're going to play a bit more reserved, a bit more within yourself, maybe within that comfort zone. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have the worst performance of your life but it's definitely going to have an influence in, in how you come across on the pitch. Now, you mentioned the initial judgment there. Does that come with 
pardon the pun because you're talking about tools in the bag but a lot of baggage is that is that come with um preconceived biases to that game that performance the build-up what you know whatever it may be and does that is that a learned behavior is that just how is that linked to personality how a person will perceive one competitive performance to what another player in the exact same team would perceive that same performance coming up yeah so this is where you you kind of got that conversation about what is uh, kind of permanent within an individual and what are behaviors that we can shape a model uh, what you're mentioning there is like that, that power of past experience. So naturally, if I've gone into a situation 10 times before on a pitch, maybe trying to attempt that difficult pass, yeah, and 10 times it's gone wrong, then it's going to be less likely that on the 11th time, I'm going to be really, really highly confident that I can actually execute it because uh, to do so would be irrational because every bit of evidence that I've got before that is going to suggest that, you know what, you've tried this 10 times and it's not worked. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to have some confidence, but I'm maybe not going to be coming at 100%. Um, again, that's that's that power of the past experience and the way we go about changing that. The best way I can give an analogy is I want you to think of if you are um, not great in social situations, for example, and every single time you walk into a social situation, you walk into that room, you're more likely to try and avoid conversations, keep your head down and uh, go and stand in the corner. Now, if you do that 10, 20, 30 times, I want you to think about each time you do it, you're putting a ball in a bucket that says that you are um, less social, for example. Now, what we aim to do within psychology is to try and uh, not necessarily put more balls in that bucket, but put them in a different one. So what we do is we try and challenge someone that maybe uh, the next five times you walk into a room, can we have you engage in conversation with someone one out of them five times? So yeah, we still add four buckets to uh, kind of avoid in the social situation, but we add one that wasn't there before on going towards it. And then over time, we get smaller and smaller wins. The balls in that bucket start building up because we're seeing the behavior we want to see. And over time, we can change what can be a really deep-seated habit um, to something more positive that we want to see. But again, it, it takes time. It's not a overnight success uh, that I think a lot of people expect or want it to be. Actually, this is kind of weeks and months and sometimes as you see in football, like a, a lifetime, um, kind of a young person's lifetime of actually getting to the steps that they're at, not just an overnight success that everyone sees. Yeah, and what you're describing there is my golf game currently in terms of not just the balls in the bucket, but yeah, I just perceived that first tee off, you know, in front of your mates as a threat every single time. It's, I don't know, it's bias, learned behaviour, combination of both, but yeah, that's my, my golf game at the minute. And, and speaking of golf, I was watching a, documentary on uh, Sky Sports earlier today and it was interesting how you're talking about that of you know even the top top players you know the elite athletes out there um, Tony Jacklin was talking about that's why he quit uh, golf because he was uh, I think it was the the Open uh, one of the four majors and he said he was playing unbelievably well but he was paired with Lee Trevino on the final two rounds. And he said, this guy was just getting luck. Like you wouldn't believe he was chipping in from bunkers, left, right and centre. I think out of the 
three out of the last five holes in the second to last round, it, it, it chipped in to score two eagles and a, and a birdie. Just like I knew then, it's like I'm giving it my absolute best, and I still can't beat guys who I perceive, perceived as being average. And that he he attributed to that was his last performance in any, any of the four majors, and he, his career quickly went downhill because of that. That perception, that the way he viewed the game, not just his performances, and yeah, I suppose there's a there's bigger issues there. And it, and talking of tools in the bag, what what are the different tools that are, are more effective than during some of the different stages of performance? So you talked about pre, during, and after. Is there any particular tools that you would say would be more kind of pre, during, or after, or some that would cover all three potentially? I think within within pre, if we if we stick for that, uh, yes, stick with that for a second. Um, I think there's definitely that element of um, the classic pillar of of sports psychology in, in goal setting, but not just the right. This is what I want out of a a, a game, and I'm going to give myself this date to achieve it by, and things like that. But actually, like really uh, applied to the match that's in front of you. So again, I'll I'll speak to players about kind of having different match targets. Uh, now they can be linked to the overall team. There can be uh, things that they want to achieve as an individual. One, it gives a purpose and a direction for the performance. We also give them something that uh, they can control through their behaviours. So it might be something linked to effort. So rather than yeah. just focusing on, can you go into this game and win, which is something that we can probably more influence than mm-hmm. fully control we give them things that they can actually do that link to uh, the behaviors on a pitch that mean that when they walk off a pitch at the end of the game they can assess their own performance irrespective of what everyone else is saying about their game uh, which may be positive or negative they can get their own perception on how they think they've done based on these these behaviors they, these actions that they know if they've achieved them uh, the three things to 100 percent it's very likely that they've had a really successful performance and therefore it brings some of the the control, some of the uh, kind of feedback that they can get externally. Um, we can almost detract from it a little bit because uh, all the time, any performers in any environment, uh, you're going to get people, even if you've played absolutely brilliant, uh, that are going to uh, provide some negative feedback. Uh, a lot of the time it's founded on nothing, but people are always going to try and pick holes in you. So if we can almost kind of drown that out by giving players tools to to assess themselves, that starts before a game, but it goes during it as well. So as we are maybe losing some of the emotional control or um, the game feels like it's getting away from ourselves or something brilliant or something really negative has happened we can almost use these as like a grounding as an anchor to get the player to remind themselves in the game what was it that you actually need to focus on what are the three game targets that just bring them back to that present moment something that they need to remember um, and think about how they feel and how that is going to affect them so again if we've suddenly got players that are running away with their emotions it's getting them to think about, is this actually going to affect me and how I perform for the next 10, 15, 20 minutes? Uh, it may be that that's a really good thing, that, you know, being pumped up for the game is going to be a benefit if it doesn't start giving them tunnel vision and we lose track of the performance. But Sorry, may- you mentioned minutes there. Sorry to interrupt, Brian, but you mentioned the minutes there. Would you naturally break that down depending on the individual how much pressure they perceive that game to be? So you'd, for somebody who was 
relatively along the pressure scale if there's such a thing relatively okay it's just kind of a a settler as it would but those who are really kind of getting anxious around the pressure would you break it down into five ten minute targets as small as that yeah we can do because again it may just be that that's more manageable for the individual uh, as you mentioned if, if you want to call it a pressure scale <laughs> then we can go with that um but it's it's almost a a scale that's individual for for every person um so everyone's going to look different we're going to get kind of different people peaking in in their uh, best performance some of which are going to want uh, no pressure whatsoever to perform at their best uh, the nature of sport likely is going to weed people out like that because there's no situation where we can perform with no pressure uh, those that can perform in really high pressure are probably going to go on uh, further within sport because of the the nature, the demands, the environment. But it doesn't mean that if you're someone that is kind of in the middle ground, uh, it doesn't mean that you can't access higher performance. But again, maybe you just need um, either nudges in the right direction to cope with that or to reframe the situation as well. And what I mean by that is to to bring some of that control back within yourself on how you perceive it, how you feel about the situation, uh, mm. not letting things like the nerves get the better of you. So again, I know I've, I've spoke on the, the podcast previously about the element of if you feel nervous going into a situation, uh, then within some regards, that's actually a really good thing because it means that you you care and you're passionate about what's about to happen. If you're a player and you're stepping on the pitch and you have no nerves whatsoever about what's going to happen you're probably either um, not taking it seriously enough or overthinking how easy the performance is going to be um, and hoping for the best at that point some nerves are, are good because it means that you're you're focused and you're kind of in the present aware of what's about to happen you're about to perform so your body should be feeling a little bit of butterflies because you're about to run around and use a lot of energy yeah and that brings me on beautifully to the next question so is pressure necessarily a bad thing? Because we've all probably met individuals in the academy system, you know, the classic, some lads who need to be calmed down, some lads like you've mentioned previously would need to be at an optimal level to be able to perform under that pressure. Sometimes it can go way too high. You see it quite a lot in the FA Youth Cup. Players who you know can perform consistently and you know players who you know it's an opportunity for them to really showcase their talent and what they're about you know as well as contributing to the team but it's like they put themselves under way too much pressure and i wouldn't say they crack but they just it it, it, it does inhibit their performance so can but you know it can pressure be a good thing and in, in what scenario what kind of environment would that be you know, deemed by someone like yourself, an applied psychologist working in an academy environment, at what point would you look to manipulate that environment to crank up the pressure or to, you know, in, in, increase that pressure for that individual so that they stay at that optimal performance? Yeah, so I think the, the most important way to begin answering the question is by considering what pressure actually is. As you've alluded to in the actual question that you asked there, a lot of it's from ourselves or even the bits that we think are pressure from other people is actually what we think that they think about us. 
Um, <laughs> it's very rarely that someone's actually going to come out and, and going to say, right, I'm going to put loads of pressure on you. Um, <laughs> because again, they're not, they're not physically going to touch you. They're actually not, not doing anything. What we're doing is we're taking what they say and it's running through our brains as, oh, I can't not perform. Yeah. Um, oh, this is a massive situation. Like, imagine if it all went wrong. Well, kind of that negative thought's never going to be beneficial. So what we're, I aim to do with the academy players is to change that narrative in that, yes, you're going into a, a game. Yeah, you're going into a, a youth cup game or, or things like that. But it's getting to them to focus on, again, what they can do, but also those resources that they've got. Like, yeah, it's a youth cup game. But if you take away that that branding of it being a youth cup game, it's exactly the same game that you play every single week. There's still 11 players on the pitch and the pitch is still the same size. Um, you're still the the player that you are. You've still got the ability and the skills. Now, the importance of that that pre and prep is that we've got a player that's that's comfortable that they've done everything they possibly could over the week as well, which is important. We want players that walk out onto the pitch um, ready for kickoff that uh, not getting onto the side of perfection of going, you know what, I've burnt myself into the ground, but going up and going, I've done everything reasonably possible to put myself in the best position for this game. So if I've needed to train, I've trained at 100%. If I've needed to um, get my nutrition right, then I've got my nutrition right at 100%. I've done everything I need to do. If I needed to rest, then I've rested at 100%. Um, I, I think people kind of look over that, that they think, right, to prep for a game, I need to be doing all the physical and mental prep in regards to training. But actually, you can just prepare well and you can sleep well and you can rest well. Um, we're having conversations within the academy about like mental loading and how much uh, mentally we put onto players in addition to the physical loading as well. Wow. And I think it's something that we... Um, disregard because again it's not necessarily something you can think see but it's that thinking how much we actually work in their brains over the week to then not give them a rest and over time what's the likelihood that that's actually going to deliver a good performance probably pretty low so we need to be uh, getting players who feel mentally ready as much as they do physically uh, and like i said that's about having a plan having a process um being comfortable in your prep as well of going you know what I know things to you saying about kind of pressure areas and knowing what's best for each player but it's kind of between them and them we can see some observable behaviors but they could play really well and actually internally um, not be feeling good and it's just a total fluke so it's not that we want to keep creating that environment for them it's about helping the players to to best learn about themselves best learn about how they're need to prepare how they need to play how to they they need to reflect and, and rest to get the best performance regularly otherwise it becomes hit and miss and we're just playing a guessing game yeah you, you mentioned preparation two or three times uh, and, and using the fa youth cup scenario as, as a an example again without giving trade secrets away here how how do you go about that because you said about it's just another game. It's the same pitch. It's but sometimes it isn't, is it? When you get to the stage of the FA Youth Cup, um, as um, Bolton did when I was working there two or three years ago, to the club you're working at now, Middlesbrough, is it's the stadium. You're travelling up the day before. You go into the hotel for a pre-match meal. Those things aren't normal on a Saturday morning or 
a midweek fixture. So as a psychologist, as a psychology department within the academy, how do you combat? Because the coaches want to prepare those lads in that way. And, you know, with all the best will in the world, you can't walk into there and go, uh, yeah, sorry, we're not going to, yeah, we don't want to be playing at the stadium. We don't want a pre-match meal. We just want to just rock up like we do on a Saturday morning and just do what we normally do. So how, give us kind of one way that you potentially counteract that or create that normality when clearly, visually, it's not. So I think the best way I can I can demonstrate is by uh, when players go to, let's say, a Wembley final. Okay. And they walk out on the pitch, mm-hmm. kind of before the game started, before there's any fans whatsoever. Um, again, to take it, imagine what it would be like uh, and remove some of the unknowns, I think is the best the best way of me saying it. Yeah. So if there's an element where we have to change routine, something changes, whether it's within kind of the control of the club or organisations and, and kind of the competitions and things require something to have been different, travel, mm-hmm. hotels, meals, things like that then there's an element of removing the unknown. Uh, It links into kind of some of the psychological safety in that just having an awareness of what's about to happen or some insight rather than just being kind of dragged and and pulled along into, oh, this is different, but you've got to deal with it. This is going to happen. And and kind of every five minutes, something new is happening and you're just finding out then. Then it's really beneficial to try and give the players as much as a heads up of going, look, this is going to be different and it's going to feel different and maybe you're not going to be able to do the same prep uh, for some players within that and like pre-match routines and, and kind of how they go through preparing physically and mentally. There are conversations within that that go, look, if you're not going to have an hour to prep, let's say, then what are the things that are vital for you to uh, be comfortable and the big things that you want to have done uh, during your prep and if we can't do all of the stuff then kind of what are the three or four bits or what's the 20 minute or 10 minute or five minute shorter routine that will put you maybe not in the absolute best state at 100 percent, but maybe we get close to say 80 percent mentally comfortable yeah. with being ready um so what do you need to do and get them thinking about things like that so that it's some of it's kind of that contingency contingency planning in that if we arrive for a game and we've got 20 minutes to get ready rather than two uh, rather than an hour and a half what the absolute minimal things that you need to do to be ready to walk out onto the pitch um kind of switched on in some regards and just stripping it back to real kind of basics like that that would be kind of the the biggest thing that i'd want to uh, promote yeah, no, that's good, and I appreciate you giving some trade secrets away, but but not all of them. Um, so, going back to the amount of pressure, is there an optimal amount of pressure that an academy player needs to perform at, at the level that they need to? Is that per individual? Is it an individualised approach? Is it per situation or the environment that they either find themselves in or the environment that you create as an organisation? you know, on a daily, weekly basis in the training ground? So it's kind of across all three three levels of individual environment um, and then also sport. So obviously we can, there's a natural level of pressure that Mm -hmm. irrespective of us us doing anything as staff and as an organisation or the players even really thinking about it, the pressure's there um, because of kind of the, the wants, the 
the realities of uh, expectations and standards and chance within getting a career in football before you've even stepped into the organisation. Let's say we can play the numbers game of how likely they are actually to succeed. Then as an environment and an organisation, we can uh, manipulate in a positive way uh, how much challenge uh, players experience and what their success within training looks like. So we can make uh, training sessions harder and easier so that we can manipulate um, situations whereby we may get some more um, emotional outbursts from players, for example. Uh, having already previously showed them and, and demonstrated different techniques they can use to regulate their emotions in them situations, we can create uh, training situations that allow allow them to practice as we do, would for any technique before they then go into a game. Uh, but we've also got that element of pressure and understanding from the players. So what kind of I don't want to do, I don't think you'll find a psychologist that will ever want to, is to make players reliant on us being present for them to deliver the best performance. The best way I can kind of say that what I do is that I help players uh, to be mentally ready to deliver positive performance and, and reach their potential uh, kind of so well, I'd like to say so well, that they actually don't need me. Um, I kind of one of my aims when working with players is to do a good enough job that they can uh, kind of drop the support that I offer and their performances will still be maintained. It's almost just doing myself out of a job continuously. Um, but that's it. Like You don't want to be have to be present in every single training and, and match situation for that player to deliver their best performance. I don't want to be the initiator of, of this pressure to meet that individual player's level. They should have enough awareness and understanding of themselves to know what they need to be like and where they need to be, but also how to create that if they're not. So if I'm too far over it, then they should have the awareness and the capability to to better regulate the pressure and how they perceive it. And if they find out that they're going into a big game and they feel like it's a walk in a park, then they should know the the triggers within themselves to to ramp it up a little bit more. And the importance of doing so uh, link into kind of hoping for that positive performance. Now, in a lot of your responses, you've you've talked almost instinctively and predominantly about processes without actually labeling them a process and we both know that gareth southgate's a massive advocate of sticking to the process you know in 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 light of the the outcome because this can so does this eradicate reduce the perception of pressure by sticking to the process and is it a a coping strategy in itself is that why gareth does it for the for the England team is that to reduce the pressure for you know ultimately what's probably the most pressurized environment that any footballer in this country will find themselves in I think what it does is it makes it manageable so if okay. I'm focused on the process if I'm focused on what I can do uh, at present then there I'm not saying there is no pressure on that but if I'm thinking about what I can do right now in the match I how much effort I can do for closing someone down or the next skill that I can execute I'm not really giving myself time to mull over the the outcome. So kind of that that element of process versus outcome. If I'm not thinking about the outcome, uh, kind of the fallout from the decisions that I'm making, that's where all the pressure exists. So if you think about, say, taking a penalty um, in the Euros, something like that, 
then the actual process, if I'm thinking about how I'm going to kick the ball, um, kind of the the steps that I'm going to take up, I'll have practiced it. I'm using that past experience in training and previous games to really boost my confidence. Uh, what I'm not thinking about if I'm doing all those things is the fallout of the outcome um, of what's going to happen if it's a positive outcome or a negative outcome. Now, that's where the pressure is because that's where I start worrying about perception and expectations and standards and what's going to happen if I miss. But if I'm just focused about the execution, the actual technique and doing what I've got to do, then I, I don't leave as much space within uh, my mind to consider that level of pressure that, that everyone else is thinking of, oh no, what happens if he misses? Again, it's about kind of removing that from the players by giving them other things to think of. Um, and so that's why there's that big emphasis on process, because if you get the process right, if you get the doing bit right, then the outcome um, can usually, I'd like to say, um, <laughs> ends up being more positive. There's no point going through a, a whole game hoping that you're going to win. It's much better to think about things that I've got to do to enable us to win or to give a good performance. And then if I do that and the player next to me delivers a good performance as well, and then we do it all as a team, then it's more likely that we're going to get that positive result anyway, rather than us all just running around a pitch, hoping that at the end we've won. Perfect. Now, next one's more of a scenario than a question, but let, let's let's see how this one goes. So, scenario. Player 8 has recently come back from injury. It's around decision time, and the team are chasing a playoff spot in their development league. The individual is both under pressure from themselves to perform well and make a positive impression towards those contract decisions that staff will be having, as well as under pressure from a coach and teammates to get that result to allow them to progress towards the national finals. How do they manage these expectations and how do they manage the pressures associated with them? Again, it's a, a whistle-stop tour <laughs> to not go into too much of that. <laughs> but it would be looking at and getting the player to consider what can they affect? Like, what is it that they can actually do that's going to make a difference? So it comes back to that uh, kind of control, influence and accept the the CIA element of it. So the um, kind of pressure to perform, uh, it's not necessarily something that I can control, but I can definitely influence how my performance goes. Now, the contract decisions, again, it's not necessarily uh, something I can control because as a player, I don't get to make that decision. It's not necessarily something that I just have to accept as well because it's not like that a contract decision just happens irrespective of how I perform. There's a likelihood that I can have an influence on, on it through my performance. Um, and the same for the national finals. If I'm doing the right things on the pitch, if I'm getting the performance right, then I can definitely influence um, selection or the opportunity to play in that. Now, it's great saying, right, I can influence that, I can influence this, and I can influence um, contract nationals all through my performance. And then the important bit then is asking and getting the player to consider, right, so what does that performance look like? That links back to those three game targets and going, right, what do you actually need to achieve? What's the, the controllable element? Uh, what's the practical bit that you can actually do? Is it something effort related? Is it that we've got different process goals within that? Is it how you are approaching the game um, or even playing in it? And then getting them to consider uh, what some people might not want to, but what happens if it's not happening in the first 5, 10, 15 minutes? What are you going to do? 
what happens if by half time it's not with the performance that you want? How are we going to press that big reset button to go right, clean slate, let's go back to neutral and let's find um, and use something that we can make sure that the, the second half is better than the first. It's not going to be an absolute storming performance overall, but what can we do just to make sure that we can get some positives out of this that can then help us for the next game, the next situation, the next training. If all else fails and we have a really, really bad performance, then we can take lessons from that as well. We can go, right, that is definitely something I want to avoid doing. So how do I do that? Or I didn't get my prep right or I didn't start the game right and I made a few mistakes and then that, that knocked me for the rest of the game. It's getting players to consider, right, do we need an easy win? So an easy action on a pitch of, right, we need to make sure that the first pass is is uh, successful. Therefore, is there an element of making an easier pass just so that we've got that first one out of the way? Or is it even that we just need to consider kind of how we've approached the game entirely? Maybe training wasn't right. Maybe there was an element off because of the, the pressure situation that we can better prepare for next time. Um, again, very unlikely that for the player mentioned, that will be their only ever opportunity to uh, perform within a precious state. The likelihood is they'll have played in games beforehand, so they'll be able to take some lessons from that to work out what to do to better prepare themselves. And sometimes things can just go wrong. I think that's an important element of it as well, that you can put all the prep into it and you can still have a poor performance. And then it's important to to reflect after the emotions have subsided, because otherwise it's going to be uh, not the most useful if you're all hyped up with emotions still. Mm. And actually look at kind of what what it was that happened, what went wrong, and then, and then what you can do next time to avoid a similar situation. I mean, you mentioned there the the, the reset button. How how's that actually done? Is that is that visual cues? Is that you know th- sometimes athletes have slogans, images, characters written on their hands in marker pen as a visual cue to kind of reset them and refocus them back to what their their goals, their targets are for that performance. Is that how it's done? Is it done in a different way? Yes, I'd definitely say that they're really useful to have those visual and verbal triggers is probably what I'd say. That's almost like you're triggering it. It's not necessarily that we're, we're pressing a button, but there's a trigger yeah. that makes us think, right, this isn't necessarily how I want to think or feel or want to be behaving. So I'm going to have to make a change. Now, it may be really easy sat here to go, oh, yeah, let's make a change. But it's not when there's a game going on or um, the emotions are high. So therefore, we do need that that verbal trigger or that visual trigger to go, right, that's going to be my phrase or that's going to be the thing that I look at that just allows me that little bit of um, uh, something to concentrate on to remind me of the whole purpose of what we're doing. So again, is it that I reset back to the three game targets and for the last 10 minutes, I've not been where I want to be, right? Let's take a breath. Let's think about what a positive performance looks like. And then let's go after that. Um, it could be that the, uh, again, emotions are getting to me. So I just need to take a second to calm. Um, now is there a element of um, doing, a, doing a breathing technique or is it that I'm in a situation that doesn't allow that? Maybe one breath is going to be enough just to, again, help me refocus on the situation, help me just recalibrate and go, you know what, this isn't the emotion that I need to be feeling right now. And therefore, what do I need to get to? And then how do I get that? Johnny Wilkinson's probably the... 
one of the most recognised athletes to really buy into psychology and how it impacts performance. And he talks a lot in podcasts that he's appeared on of perfection. Is the pursuit of that perfection, that perfect performance, is that pressure in itself? Is that going to be detrimental to an academy player's performance? Is that a maladaptive behaviour associated with chasing this so-called myth of perfection? I think the negative comes from the hope that you're going to perform at some point absolutely perfect and Mm. have no ability to look at anything that you've done wrong in the game now i know having listened to him as well that he will admit that there was never ever a performance that you can walk off or he could walk off a pitch and go you know what there is nothing different that i would do or no no tiny tweak or something that i would have done different because there are so many decisions and actions made in an 80 minute game in rugby 90 minute game in football that you're always going to walk off going you know what could have done this better or quicker or faster or made this decision or I wish so-and-so had done done something different and that's that element of well it's never going to be perfect because it's never going to go how you want because um, even in sports where you've not necessarily got a direct competitor who's influencing um, the situation so think of something like darts or snooker to some extent um, it's never absolutely perfect because there are so many other elements that we can't control. Yet in football, there are another 21 players out on the pitch that are still going to have an influence on, on what you do. So you're never going to walk off going, you know what, that was absolute perfect. And the risk is that you're never going to be able to, to feel fully satisfied, which I know is something that, that Johnny was speaking about, in that even to the extent when they won the Rugby World Cup, he said that there was this... There was an element of satisfaction because he'd worked so long to win the World Cup. That was like his level of perfectionism of let's do that. That's my ultimate goal. And he actually admitted that he spent about 30 seconds enjoying the moment. And then after that, it all just subsided. All the the enjoyment of actually working his whole life to get to that had just gone. Because there was that element and need to be, I need to be absolutely perfect. I need to go on to that next challenge. And the risk is that you actually never enjoy kind of the situation that you're in. Um, I know we we speak and have alluded to kind of being present and making sure that that you actually enjoy the process. Linking back to what Southgate was on about is that you const- if you're constantly seeking that, um, yes, I have a great performance, that means that I'm happy, or no, that wasn't a good performance, then it's always going to be 50-50 based on how you feel which also means that 50% of the time you're not going to be happy with how things went. Um, And it's probably more than that if you're seeking that perfection because it's maybe once, if ever, you may walk off going, you know what, that was perfect. But it's highly unlikely that you're even going to get that once, which means that 100% of the time you're going to walk off the pitch unhappy with how it went. When actually you could be missing brilliant moments. And that's the importance of kind of stepping away. You can chase the perfect game you can use that as a motivator. You can use that as something to aim to. But it's really important to have that appreciation that you will never get that. And also to enjoy the moments when you've actually come off and it's gone well. Um, or pick up a positive from a, if everything else has gone wrong, what actually went well. 
well, if you turned up, then that's a positive. You got to play the game you love, even if you had a shocker. Because, um, again, picking up those little positive moments is really, really important because otherwise we can very quickly get a very dissatisfied athlete. Mm. And why would you want to keep competing um, if you weren't satisfied? External pressure comes in or then things like, I can't leave the sport because everyone expects so much to me. But again, in the, in the centre of all that, we've got an unhappy athlete that isn't fulfilled doing what they should love. Yeah, it's it's a scary thing, perfection. I know from from first hand experience, it's it's yeah, it's not a good thing to, to chase perfection. That's my personal preference. It doesn't have to be the correct one or for for those who are listening to this episode. But yeah, it's it can it can rank up the pressure. It can make you forget the the small things, the good things in in your day to day work, whatever it may be, whether it, you know it's playing football or you know whatever your vocation is. And similarly with with being present, that's something at the moment I'm I'm trying to develop. And can you tell our listeners more about what you mean by this about staying in the present, being present, and how it can potentially help in reducing pressure in life, not just in sport? I think the importance of being in the present is kind of signified by that if I'm in the moment I'm in now, if I have the ability to uh, control my actions right now, because it's not in the past and it's not in the future, it's where I am right now, then I've got a really strong element of kind of autonomy of being able to make decisions and do actions that actually kind of I want to work towards. I've kind of got that choice point going on of deciding how I want to go about um, kind of the next uh, minute, 10 seconds, whatever you want the present to look like. What we sometimes can get caught up in is that if we're not thinking about the present, thinking about where we are right now, we're either worried about the past. Uh, so that could be the past of 10 minutes ago, or an hour ago, if we've we've just performed, or even maybe the past of five, 10 years ago, something that happened um, in life that we regret and that we're kind of carrying around going, oh, I wish that was different. Um, which, you know, there can be a lot of situations kind of that everyone thinks of and go, ah, you know what, I wish that was different. But if we carry that around, uh, it's actually never going to change. So we respect of how much time I spend wishing something was different 10 years ago. Mm. Kind of the matter of fact is that it's it's almost wasted energy because I can't change it. Um, It's not going to be any good for me because a lot of the time we don't walk around hoping to have changed things that were really, really positive. Um, the likelihood is that it was something really, really negative. And therefore, again, that's going to affect our mood in the present, even though it's something five, 10 years ago. And then the other side of it is worrying about the future. So the being present element is kind of thinking about the right now, thinking about the process, thinking about what I can control and influence uh, and what I am about and doing uh, and making good actions now that may have a positive influence on my future. But by doing so, it's that I'm not worrying about what's to come. So I'm not necessarily worried about tomorrow or next week or next month. Um, if I'm in the game, I'm concerned about kind of how I am performing right now, not thinking about oh, what happens at the end of the game if we don't win this. Because, again, it's going to be detrimental to my mood, emotions, thoughts and behaviours in the present. And now, obviously, that's what we want to protect because we want you to be in the best state whether that's football or going into an exam or uh, going into a a job interview, we want you to be in the best state right now, not concerned with what happens if it all goes wrong. Because again, that's, it's in the future. It's something that we can't affect out there. Um, Something that I want to 
can mention was uh, I was reading a book recently, um, and I know there's a Netflix series that's just come out uh, by Nims Nimdi Perja or Nims oh, Perja yeah. uh, yeah. for the Beyond Possible. So it was someone who looked at the record for the 14 over 8,000 peaks in the world, which was seven years and seven months, and formed a plan to do it in seven months. So to knock seven years off the record. Um, and again, one of the quotes that I took from from that that's really stuck with me was him concerned with being in the present um, and kind of affecting the now and, and dealing with and overcoming different situations he faced. Um, now, one of the, the, the quote that stuck with me was that he said that today I'll give 100% and survive and then I'll worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes. Because for the seven months, um, he chunked it down. He had a brilliant plan. And again, there's an element of then executing the plan. And if you are to to read the book, uh, the, the Netflix shows good. The book has so much more depth. Um, so if okay. you are into reading, go for the book. Um, some of the elements he speaks about is getting ahead of himself, thinking about yeah. oh, I'm on this mountain, but I'm thinking about kind of two mountains along. And all of a sudden he found himself in a life or death situation because he took a step without really thinking about it. Or he stepped back um, or, again, just different actions he, he took because he was getting ahead of himself and thinking about the future rather than just being in the present and dealing with the challenges that, that he was facing right there. Um, so I think that's the best way that I can kind of reinforce it and uh, really demonstrate that the element of being in the present affecting the things that you can actually directly affect now before they're set in stone in the past. And there's no point worrying about the future because the future is going to kind of do whatever it needs to do anyway. That's life. If you focus on being present, the things you can control, the behaviours, the actions, it's the best and safest place for you to be. Otherwise, you'll get ahead of yourself and you'll start making mistakes. Yeah, and I suppose, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but does that link in then with the, the classic control and the controllables that often comes up when discussing anything really within within psychology and kind of delving a little bit deeper into the con control and the controllables is it really as easy as that and how can actually doing and practicing this be developed i think it's not necessarily easy what it is is it's really simple and it's simple to say um kind of right can you just focus on everything you can control and nothing else uh, in practice, it's really, really difficult and it's not an absolute perfect uh, solution because, again, we are going to have different worries about situations we face and we're naturally going to have worries about things that are out of our control because that is what being a human is about. Um, mm. We're social, we're always, or we have a predisposition, i.e. we have an uh, internal wiring uh, through kind of evolution to look out for threats because ultimately threats are going to determine whether we uh, live or die. And uh, having a really positive day doesn't really matter all that much. So we have a internal wiring that's going to look for threats all the time, um, even when there maybe isn't any. So think of like public speaking and getting worried about going up, knowing it's your turn, your heart's racing, and your kind of adrenaline's pumping around because your brain's probably going to be going, oh, what happens if it goes wrong? What happens if it goes wrong? Um, yeah, you can repeat to yourself that you've got a plan and a process and that you're going to go up there and, and smash it, but there's always going to be this little element within it of, of fear through your body just being, what happens if it goes wrong? What happens? <laughs> and there's an appreciation of trying to, 
uh, be aware of when kind of your brain, if you want to separate it out of you and your brain, if that makes sense. Um, there's an appreciation that in those moments, your brain's going to say negative things, even if you've got a really, really positive and resilient mindset, it's still going to say it. It's still going to be critical. It's still going to be your worst enemy. But the element of the controllables is about reframing and rephrasing what it says. Um, that may be that if you are doubting yourself, that you try and change that element of self-talk into something positive. I rather than going, there's no way you can do this, changing it to, you know what, you can do this because of uh, this past experience and you've got the ability now. But it might even be going into situations where you're almost just acknowledging it of going, you know what, my, my body's or my brain is saying that you can't do this, but yeah, that's fine because it's something that I've not gone into before, but I'm giving it, give it my absolute best shot. And, um, I'm going to deliver the best performance that I possibly can. Um, again, it's not necessarily rephrasing the the whole statement, but there's an appreciation, almost linking back to the nerves. And and if you're feeling nerves, um, then it means it matters. There's just an acceptance and an awareness of, you know what? Yeah, that mentally, that's what my brain's saying, but that's fine because it's always going to say something negative because it's trying to protect me. And of course, not going out and running for 90 minutes. My brain would rather do that and sit and be safe than go run around and use all this energy. But the fact is that I want to cross the line and I want to step onto the pitch and actually play. Therefore, I'm going to have to uh, challenge and overcome what my brain's actually telling me. Perfect. And then two questions left. So penultimate one, as you know from previous episodes, it's not just a podcast for in the main, it's for academy players and, and those who are just about to start or have just started their career in professional football. But we also like to cover the basis of parents and coaches. And you mentioned it pretty early on in this episode about, um, you know, how how key, how critical coaches are and other staff within the academy system in reinforcing all of these key messages that you've talked about over the last 40, 50 minutes. But is there a way of improving the understanding of pressure how their son is performing under pressure in environments such as these that parents and coaches can help within in just one simple not necessarily easy way but achievable way i think the the element that we're reinforcing for parents at the moment is uh, kind of being a facilitator to help the players and young people's awareness of themselves. So again, having that conversation to ask them how they've got on, but also how they've prepared, um, how they think it's gone and what they would improve next time. It could even be helping them label emotions because so often when I ask players how they're feeling, uh, as you will know, Lee, a lot of the time you get the word fine back uh, and that is a summary of a whole individual's emotions at present is just fine. Uh, now, very unlikely that that's actually where they're at. Um, so even just that help to label emotions is kind of really important because it not only helps us as the person asking the question understand someone, how someone else is feeling, but it helps them themselves actually kind of link that emotion to the sensations they're feeling. And again, that links to that awareness of how do I need to be feeling in order to deliver the best performance that I can. Um, the I know you asked for one, but 
it won't shock you. I've got a couple. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's also the element um, linking back to kind of what you can affect and yeah. really getting the the mantra, the, the statement that um, I picked up off kind of listening to Will Smith do an interview kind of a few years ago now, which okay. was the, the element of, again, success doesn't happen overnight. And that there's a long process and there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. And he really uh, kind of focused in on kind of the element of not necessarily setting out to build a wall, but just placing each brick as best as you can. Absolutely. Um, as brilliantly as you, you can with the resources available, which may mean that at um, kind of by the time you get up to, to two feet, that maybe some of the lower ones aren't absolutely perfect, but you know, you did the best that you absolutely could in that moment for the resources that you had. And as you got better and better, then um, resources got better, you got better facilities, better access to different coaches, opportunities, things like that. And the wall in its entirety became really, really strong because, again, you can double layer and, and, and triple layer and, and really get that strength. But ultimately, you're not setting out to to build the whole wall. You're breaking it down, focusing on the process and just thinking about each individual brick. Within a non-brick lane context, that would be uh, taking a under nine, for example, and speaking with parents and the player to consider, you know what, we're not necessarily thinking of you as a first team right now, but what can you do over the next season that's going to best help you have the best season that you can as an under nine, that's going to prepare you for under tens? Um, what kind of psych insight and techniques can we teach you under nine that's both going to be relevant and understandable that's going to help you best navigate the challenges that you're going to face right now yeah it'll have an influence on what you're going to be like kind of 10 12 years down the line but actually we we want you to be in the best position to navigate kind of uh, the the shorter term for now and then when you get a little bit further along then obviously we can kind of readjust and, and adjust as we go I think the best way I can link that to a parent is for them to be the best parent they can possibly be and to understand how their role as well as a parent of a young person in sport is going to change and that they may feel like they have all the logistic and the emotional and the tangible support and that's kind of what they want to be as a parent but it's having that awareness to know that that role is going to change as their child grows up especially if they stay in sport as well because the logistic and the financial challenges are going to change, how their role from a um, esteem support, so again, being a, a big promoter and advocate of their child, is probably going to become more important than necessarily the, the information or the logistics, because all of a sudden, if they're within um, kind of elite youth development, those things are going to start getting taken care of by better coaches and travel to games and things. So it's having that awareness of a parent that things are going to change it's not always going to be what it's like now but it'll enable you to put more investment into kind of the esteem side of things than kind of the financial and the tangible support brilliant and then to finish off as we always do as you've done at least twice before and i'm sure you will again in uh, in season four is one lasting message for our listeners that you want to leave them with so I think the most important takeaway I can give is by saying that how you think about the game is so important, so prepare well. How you act and react in a game is critical. So be present, be aware and know your game plan. 
and how we learn through experience. So make sure that you take time to reflect on what happened, what you did and what you can do to deliver high performance next time. You're never the finished product, but you can always improve. And we'll end on that great and powerful message as always. So on behalf of our listeners, yeah, once again, thanks Ryan for, for your time this evening, for jumping on. And I'm sure, you know, every single person who's listened to this will have taken at least one, if not five, six, maybe seven or eight different things from every one of your episodes, Ryan, because they're always full. Like you just said then at the end, you know, we, we ask you for one, you always give him more and that's what we love about you. So yeah, keep on doing what you're doing up at Middlesbrough. Have a great season and yeah, thank you on behalf of our listeners. Thank you on behalf of myself and we look forward to having you on again. No, cheers, Lee. Always a pleasure. So much to take in, so much to cover, so I'll give it a go. Remember, just like any preparation for performances, as in nutrition and physical, this can be broken down into pre, during and post-performance. Set performance targets before each match and reset your brain during performances to make sure you are focusing on them. Before evaluating the mental loading you put on yourself before and during games in preparation for the next one. Psychologists will often speak about tools in the bag. These can include a high total, be varied, should be relevant and individual to you, not always required, but there when needed. We always hear people in the game talk about the physical load and minutes a player has performed in before very little about mental load. Can this be reduced to enhance your performances or do you require more to perform at your peak? A very interesting topic of conversation. Next week we have a special announcement so you won't want to miss that nor the guest we will bring you in your next installment of Interviews from the Locker. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and we hope you have taken many key messages away with you. But the next part is down to you now by putting these into action. If you'd like today's episode, feel free to tell us on our various social media platforms where you can find us at thelocker underscore UK. For guest recommendations, future topics to be discussed, or you simply want to reach out, you can do so by emailing us on thedevelopmentlocker at gmail.co.uk. Remember to share this episode and our platform with your teammates, friends in football, or anyone you feel would benefit from it. So, what are you waiting for? But you're not done yet as we look forward to seeing you next week when we bring you another interview from The Locker.